Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Amal Sarva. He's the co-founder of Notel and an entrepreneur. This is Technotopia. Hey guys, John Biggs here. If you're thinking about saving money this summer, why not start by paying less interest on your credit card balances? I want you to take a look at Lightstream. It's a service and it's an easy way to save hundreds to thousands of dollars and lower your interest rate. Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from a 5.89% APR with AutoPay. Basically, you take your bad credit and move it into a saner spot. This is far lower than the average credit card interest rate of 18% APR, right? And Lightstream is unique in that it believes that people with good credit deserve a great interest rate and no fees. I'm a fan of services like this. There are too many predatory systems out there, and finding someone who cares and will help folks out of the credit trouble is amazing. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to try it. My listeners can save even more with an additional interest rate discount on top of Lightstream's already low rates. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com techno. That's L-I-G-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash techno. Remember, this is subject to credit approval. Rate includes a 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com for more information. Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Amal Sarva. He's the founder and CEO of Notel, and you're also the creator of the Peak, which was one of my favorite devices. Welcome. Yeah. Futurist. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's how we got to know each other, actually, some years ago. I know. I think you, you were hassling me a lot about the, the device. I want people to understand what you had created back in the, uh, back in the aged, old, old days. <laughs> The aged era. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it was, I mean, looking back on it, it's hilarious now because we launched this device and all it did was internet stuff, mm-hmm. it did like email messaging, texting, Facebook, Twitter. And people were like, why would somebody have a device in addition to their phone? Why would anyone have more than one device? And these days people are rolling around with like 10 devices in their pockets on their wrists, around their neck, all over the place. And that vision we had of the future of just like computing being everywhere, that totally happened. When we were making Peak, we had come off of having started Virgin Mobile. My co-founders and I had started Virgin Mobile. It was becoming a big business that lots of people had. And we thought, well, let's make a smartphone. Let's make a smartphone that anybody can afford. Because in 2008, uh, you could buy like an iPhone for $600. There were a million total iPhone users. Mm-hmm. There were maybe five or six million BlackBerry users. Like Nobody had smartphones. And our vision of the future was that billions of people, everybody would have one. And so we figured, well, we got, we're going to have to do it the hard way. We're going to have to make our own gadget from scratch, our own operating system, our own software, our own apps, our own cloud system, and make this whole thing work beautifully so we can ship a device that costs only $30, 90% less than BlackBerry. Mm-hmm. But it'll do all the amazing stuff that you really want to do on, on the Internet when you're walking around. You want to be in touch with people. So we made this device, we shipped it, and yeah, I mean, the business was, was successful. The, the, the device was beautiful. It was like all over the press. You know, you were nice to it. Everybody, it was like on TV all I'm, around the world. I worry and... I wasn't nice to it, but I, I have it here somewhere. <laughs> I have it in a box. I have it in a box here. I have, I have, the, I have the Twitter one as well. I have the Twitter-only Peak, which was a little device that you carried around, and you did Twitter on it. Yeah, and you're not the only one, actually. There are a lot of these, like, mobile device museums that I've yeah. visited where people have like their collections of the most interesting mobile gadgets in history. And yeah, the the peak is, is regularly in those. And then, yeah, I mean, unfortunately like the device, 
it was hard to sell millions of those, but the software ended up being really interesting to a lot of huge mobile phone companies. And at the end of 2012, we sold the company, the SoftBank, mm-hmm. and they've put it on 500 million phones around the world. So, so Peaks, the Peaks DNA still lives on in like this weird like zombie state. Well, actually, not even zombies. Yeah, it's still... yeah, yeah, it's very cool. Interesting. All right, so yeah. so you I mean, you... A half a billion monthly unique. <laughs> <laughs> on, a, on a dead device. All right. I, I wish. I wish. Uh, I wish BlackBerry could uh, could say that. I guess. I guess they probably still have something going on in the in the in BlackBerry. But who knows? All right. So so now you're working at Notel. So you basically have a you have a real estate kind of uh, co working sort of play. Why did you move from from futuristic devices to to old fashioned real estate? Right. Well, I mean, I've worked on a lot of different topics as an entrepreneur over time, and usually once you do one thing hate that thing and don't want to do it again so mm-hmm. i did mobile phones then i'm like no i'm going to do smartphones then i'm like no i want to do enterprise software i want to do neuroscience i started this company halo neuroscience mm-hmm. which is actually it's doing really well it's like a gadget similar to my other stuff but it's a gadget you put on your head that helps your brain work better mm-hmm. and the product that we are shipping to like elite military units and top athletes is the gadget called Halo Sport. It makes people run faster, jump higher, shoot better. It's a really like a breakthrough idea. But through all that work, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I have companies growing, shrinking. A recurrent problem for me was what do I do about my office? And so after we sold Keith, I had this office that was like big enough for 50 people. I'm running it, I'm doing my thing. But I only had five people initially on my new project. Mm-hmm. So I was sharing it with a lot of folks. And so a couple of years ago, I was kind of into doing this for a while. And by 2015, my co-founder and I, for this company Notable, we noticed, hmm, this office totally works. Like, people love that we're able to share our office with them. The owner of the building loves what we do here. He wants to give us another 5,000 feet, another, like, 50 people worth of space. Mm-hmm. And so we stopped and thought about it, and we're like, ah, huh. maybe we are just lucky be here at a moment where we have discovered something interesting. Let's see if we can make it bigger. That was back when we were at 10,000. Now we're at nearly a million. So wow. We're a hundred times bigger. So, so this is, this is something that I, I want to try to understand. What does, what does the future office look like? Is if, if everybody's, if everybody's correct and we're, and we're moving towards like a world of, uh, a world of VR, and we never go into an office, and we sit in our we sit in our stasis tanks, <laughs> taking happen. taking food through our through our esophagi. Is that is that the way it My goes? Or does it go to the WeWork vision? Does does the office as a cubicle farm disappear? What happens? Oh my God! Well, you know, here's like a really good way I think of framing what the future looks like. Sometimes um, Bezos has this really nice expression. So Bezos has this thing where he's like. People come to me all the time and they ask me, hey, Jeff, uh, tell me what's changing. What's going to be different in five or ten years? Mm-hmm. And they almost never come to me and ask me what's not going to be different. Mm-hmm. And I think that the more interesting question, and this is Bezos talking, the more interesting question is what's not going to be different in ten years. Because if you can figure stuff out that's not going to be different, then you've got a really interesting idea. Because you're just going to chase that. You're going to make more of that. And I, I think it's an interesting answer to your question. Cause like, what's the future of office like? Well... One thing that I don't think changing, definitely not, is that people are going to have to work together. Mm-hmm. They're going to work together in real life together. There's a bunch of stuff they don't need to do in person anymore. Like, I don't need to redo the results of my 
QA test on a product. Like there's a lot of information transfer that we don't need to do in person anymore. But in person is where we understand each other and we work through a lot of the careful and difficult nuanced problems that we got to figure out. And, and in the future, there will be more people working in person uh, than even now. I mean, more of the hard problems are going to be solved with people together. So that's one thing that's not changing. That's one. Second thing that's not changing, nobody's going to tell us they want to spend more on their office space. Mm-hmm. I'm really sure that nobody wants the prices to be higher. I think everybody wants to spend less. And a third thing is they, don't, they want to spend less of their time and energy on it. There's nobody who ever told me I wish I could spend more time on like choosing an office, designing it, managing it, like choosing the coffee, remaking that stuff. Like nobody wants that. And I think two or three of the big trends are embodied there, which are people want to work together with less brain damage, less cost. And I think that's the thing that Notel really responds to. It's something that was never available before. I had to negotiate leases with landlords for every company I ever did. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have to do that in the future. That's going to be gone. What is that? So the so the lease obviously is the uh, is what the landlord loves. How do you how do you get around that? Do you do you uh, tokenize do the, the lease? Do you tokenize do the, the process? <laughs> I mean, ultimately, yeah. I mean, right now the lease is taxi medallion of the office. Park. Okay. The lease is like a necessary evil that's connected to the old way that the world worked, mm-hmm. where no one could trust each other, where there was no information, where there were not liquid marketplaces, where people were unable to move easily around and where landlords could not easily refill their inventory. Now, so much has changed that you no longer, as a landlord, need to ask someone to come and stay for 10 years in order to be sure your place will be full. If you run it the right way, if you run it the way we run it, your place will be full. You'll make more money than you did on that old school model with leases. You don't need that taxi medallion anymore. You mm-hmm. can move to this new and innovative model. And the way we do it that, that, that makes landlords more money and helps companies be flexible is because we are facilitating through software and through our service, people sharing space with each other, each person gets the amount that they want. Like you don't have to order a whole pizza in order to get one slice anymore. You can get it by the slice, which like for most of the listeners on this podcast, if you're not in New York City, you don't even know what that means. But yeah. like... Getting it by the slice is like getting exactly what you want. And when you get it by the slice, you can pay the right price. Whereas in most traditional real estate, you end up buying a lot of extra space. You pay for empty space for years until you need it. That means you can't spend as much. Landlords make less money. So the basic insight we had is if we can facilitate the sharing and the flexibility and the scaling, if we can build something truly agile, an agile headquarters, then people will pay the right price. They'll probably save money. But in aggregate together, they're going to pay more. They're going to pay more, and landlords will be able to make more money. And, and we share this, this excess value that we create with them. So that, that, that's just like the pure marketplace applied, applied to real estate. Why so there's do you... another thing. Okay. And, and we'll get to that, too. I mean, if you want to. It's like, why is the iPhone irrelevant with Office? Like, that question is such a deep and trenchant question. When you walk into a building, like you come out of the subway in Manhattan, you pull out like an access card, you talk to a security guard, they check on some computer that's like wired oh, yeah. by Ethernet, they type in your stuff, you get to the elevator, you press a button, you press another button, you press another button, again, you get off on the floor, another access card, the door has to open, you go in, you say hello to the receptionist, you walk down some hallway, you look for a meeting room, you say, oh, can I use this meeting room? You start dialing physical buttons on a telephone to like get on the conference call. It's insane. The amount of offline interaction required to just use these physical assets is insane. You would never accept that. You would never accept that for anything else that you use. Mm-hmm. You, like, you, you don't get cars that way anymore, right? Like, open your phone, press the button, and you're getting a car. 
and you get there and the money moves, everything happens. Buildings need to work that way too. And now that we're controlling so much, we're at around 45 buildings, a million square feet. At the end of the year, there'll be like 150 buildings, several million square feet. <laughs> now we've got enough stuff. We've got enough stuff that we can push our software into these places. And you can pick up your phone and just walk without ever talking to anyone, ever touching anything, and only have the real-life human interaction, which is about real stuff, not about, oh, please let me in, oh, please call the elevator. Like, mm -hmm. all that bogus stuff does not need to be done with your fingertips. So the so so you're actually so you're putting your money where your mouth is in this in this sense, and I don't I don't I don't want to turn this into uh, to the marketing show for Amal's uh, real estate business, but I but I actually like this idea. So you're so you're in a position with your million square feet plus your 100, 150 more spaces where you're basically just building this out. So you can you can set terms for these places. Why isn't why isn't anyone else doing it? We work we work kind of does it right. They have a few they have a few. Uh, things but there's still somebody always sitting up front who's basically checking you in and stuff yeah i mean i i don't think that this vision is is something that i invented honestly like i, I think that's got to be where the future goes uh but nobody runs enough office today to be able to just grab it by the throat and make it happen mm -hmm. so we're getting into the strike zone on that where we can do it but one of the weird things about the real estate business unlike basically every other business i've ever worked in never worked in a business like this this business is so fragmented. Mm -hmm. The biggest office owner in New York has way less than 10% of all the office. And they have none in London. And then the biggest owner in London has like 5%. And then the biggest owner in SF has like... I mean, if you compare that to mobile phones, where I spent a lot of my career building big businesses, huge difference. I mean, the U.S. has like four mobile operators. And they all have like 20 to 35% market mm -hmm. share. So if you make something cool, if you're like Apple and you make a great phone, you just pitch AT&T, they launch the thing, and everyone can get it. In the office world, that hasn't been possible. And so we have been doing a lot of the dirty work of doing business, hustling, putting together a lot of these properties. And now, finally, we get to do some really cool stuff. And some of that is the is like the iPhone of building. Mm -hmm. I mean, you talk to real estate people and you say, what's the iPhone of building? I mean... They just mean like a glass tower, and that is not <laughs> what said, anybody means. <laughs> they, they, they mean that they mean the uh, they mean the, the the elevator where you type the number in before you get on the elevator. <laughs> yeah, it's a big it's deal. Ridiculous, ridiculous, completely ridiculous. So, so okay, so so you so if if we're talking Bezos here, we're saying that in the future, the the need for human interaction is not going to go away. What's going to keep it that way? I mean, the we're we're expecting we're expecting a uh, I don't know a destruction of of most jobs uh, in in many cases. Actually, a lot of lonely jobs, right? You you're going to lose a lot of yeah. drivers. You're going to lose a lot of a lot of uh, programmers. That kind of thing. Why do we need to come together? Why do we still need to come together as humans? What have you well, seen? Well, well, I mean, first I'll tell you something that isn't like rooted in my no-tell work, but it is rooted in my work on technology and futurism. Every time there's an innovation, like they make the ATM, and you think you won't need bank tellers anymore, yep. every one of those that I've looked at, you end up with an industry that's way bigger. You take like the transaction cost and the friction out of that business, and you end up with way more bank branches and way more loan officers and account managers and people that work in the business. You no longer need someone to like make change for a $100 bill. That's great. You no longer need someone to like pull some cash out of your account. Cool. But now these people are giving you advice and they're helping you do the more complicated stuff. That, that, that is the lesson of history. So that's one big thing. It is very likely that automated driving, for example, will end up with way more people in the logistics, delivery, and transportation businesses because those are the people 
who will help you figure out what you want, be nice to you and help you be comfortable, uh, help you land in the place you want to go to. It's just going to become a way bigger industry. There's going to be trucks rolling 24-7 doing all kinds of stuff. If you mm-hmm. think Amazon two-day shipping is interesting or three-hour shipping is interesting, there's going to be a truck outside your house before you even think about what you want, and that truck's going to deliver what you want, some friendly personal hand. And so I think that many industries are actually going to grow in the total labor requirements. That's the first point. Second point, there aren't enough people. Even with all the power of automation and the productivity gain, the American population is going to be trending down after 2050. It used to be the American population would increase at like 2 or 3% a year. And one of the big drivers of our richer uh, economy has been more people doing more stuff. If we want to keep getting richer at 2 or 3% a year for another 30 years, there are a lot of jobs to do. There's so many jobs that the robots will not take them. There's not mm-hmm. even enough robots. There's not even enough productivity. There's going to be a lot more people doing a lot more stuff, and it's going to be higher order, more complicated, more creative, more sensitive, social, and emotional stuff. And those are jobs you're going to do in person. All right. Sounds good to me. What's, <laughs> uh, what, what, is, what does your day look like uh, in, uh, in 20 years from now? Uh, I think um, I'm going to spend a lot of time uh, looking at screens, processing huge amounts of information. I read an interesting thing about Charles Darwin a few years ago. Charles Darwin is a great scientist, you know, the guy who like, is the co-discoverer uh, of evolutionary theory. A really interesting fact about him is he used to write a lot of letters. He wrote 3,000 letters a year. Mm-hmm. So there's like 300-something days of the year he wrote 10 a day. That was once an impressive statistic. Mm-hmm. I know that you, John, like delete your entire inbox every day. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> <And> <laughs> because you're getting way more than 300 letters or 3,000 maybe per day. Me, I'm, I'm, I'm probably in touch with, I probably hit send on several hundred messages a day, and I see more than that. Mm-hmm. So I'm probably moving back and forth like something like 500 to 1,000 messages a day. So me versus Charles Darwin, I am so much more connected than I was then. And another 20 years from now, maybe that number is like 10,000 a day. Maybe I'm in touch with thousands and thousands and thousands of people every day. Like we are network together through this like electronic telepathy that we've invented and we're able to collaborate at a huge scale i think that's going to be really cool so i am going to spend my time in touch with a lot of people who are not in front of me but when i am in front of people we are going to have the super high bandwidth super rich very trust-based heavy rapport kind of problem solving that actually is really hard to do when when you're not with people so, uh, so I'm sure I'm going to spend a big chunk of my time figuring stuff out. That's an interesting point. Where if if we have enough, if we have an, the right kind of user interface and the right kind of bandwidth, we could, as a group of I don't know humans, work together on a big problem like uh, like like I don't know, closer climate, to sp- cancer. climate, cancer, all sort yeah. of things. So it's basically like SETI at home, but with our brains. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's exciting, right? It's like I know I can't figure everything out myself. And if I just had enough time and connectivity to the other smart people in the world, like you and me could spend more time together, mm-hmm. we could figure out really big breakthrough ideas that we just, right now, we're spending too much time like on the subway, setting up a conference call, just like doing a lot of dumb stuff. There is much potential. 
maybe we'll be a maybe maybe I'll just hear them all back in my in the back of my head, just uh, <laughs> suggesting a suggesting a different way to uh, to to poke this monkey to make him uh, to make him move differently. <laughs> Interesting. All right, beautiful. So that's actually really cool. I'm excited about that. So you're so you're working on so you've got some funding for for Notel. Um, it's so so Note is is that still a product or did that completely turn into a real estate thing? Well, so I started working on this note thing um, in like 2013, and my my idea with my co-founder Edward Chendrovich, we were going to make a note note taking platform for collaboration. Actually, it's very similar mm-hmm. to the themes we're talking about here. It's like when we're not together, how can we do long form, complicated, detailed uh, planning, thinking, talking? And so we started building the software. And weirdly, one way to think about Notel is that first we built the management operating system. Mm-hmm. for a big, sprawling, 24-7, multi-city, multi-country business. So we built this software. So we built it, we launched it, we got like 100,000 users on it. We never really got to the step of doing the sales and marketing and trying to commercialize it as a, you know, like a Dropbox or a, you know enterprise software thing. We didn't get to that because then suddenly this office thing started taking off. And so mm-hmm. Note is out there. We maintain it. It's working. It has a bunch of users. I'm probably the biggest fan on the universe for it because it helps me get 10 times more done than I would otherwise. And maybe someday I'll have a little time and leisure to get back to it. Or maybe I shouldn't because maybe it's my secret weapon. You know, maybe it's the way I've been able to pull off all this stuff. I have been building this business. You know, I'm co-founder of Halo Neuroscience. I have like 60 other angel investments. I'm like tracking a ton of stuff. And um, I think it's my superpower. Hmm. Oh, well, there's, I was reading about augmented, the, the augmented brain, right? So the... So the idea that if if you have we're we're not we're not going to get any smarter as as simian as evolutionary monkeys we're going to get uh, all the tools around us are going to get a lot smarter and, and basically as it stands right now we look into our little glass screens and we uh, and we get a little extra boost of energy out of that right yeah and it's like a really low bandwidth interface right mm-hmm. like you have to like look at the screen and get a prompt and and the product that we invented at Halo it doesn't go through your vision system or your hearing it goes directly through your skull into your brain what we accomplish right now is fairly modest we stimulate a certain brain area but i see how that curve goes to teaching you a language reminding you about your wife's birthday Mm -hmm. um telling you the answer to like a question someone's asked you it's like bam and the answer's in your mind wow the brain computer interface I, i think halo is like a breakthrough on brain computer interface and soon information will be moving not just um energy and stimulation all right, Amal, where can people uh, find out what you're working on? <laughs> well, I mean, if you, uh, I, I, I do write a lot on my, like, amal.sarva.co blog. Um, if you type in amalsarva.com, you can see just all, all the things I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Um, Notel, K-N-O-T-E-L.com. Um, anybody needs an Agile headquarters, happy to help you. New York, London, San Francisco. Um, note.com is that superpower, K-N-O-T-E.com. HaloNeuroscience.com is the Halo product. <laughs> and if you write to me, I'm happy to write back. Amal at Sarva.co. Listen to this. You're like, you're like Charles Darwin. We're gonna send, you're going to be sending uh, 10 letters a day pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> I will not respond in writing by hand to the mail. That's, uh, unfortunately, I can't promise. This has been Technotopia. I'm your host, John Biggs. Thank you very much, Amal, for joining us. This is, uh, this is great. Pleasure, man. Thanks. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. 
Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com Technotopia is presented by your host, John Biggs. It was produced by Rick Barr of Bar26 Entertainment at ricksvoice.com. It appears every Friday at noon, and we're always looking to talk to interesting people. Tweet at John Biggs if you'd like to join us on the show.